welcome back to the Ceramics Podcast, a podcast about cone six absorption rates in the modern world. Um, what's an absorption rate? I think I need to work on my radio voice. You does think it so? sound? It does it sound nas- more nasally today? I think it does. I think it was all that travel I just did. You know? Oh, maybe plugging up my nose. I gotta. gotta you could. Uh, oh, uh, me, 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 me. Unique New York. Unique <laughs> New York. All right, everybody. Welcome Years. back to the Ceramics Podcast, a podcast about cone six absorption rates in the modern world. Oh, gosh. Huh? That, was that was a little bit better, right? Yes. You could go pro. Well, I, I, I would kind of like to think that that's what we're doing. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, We'll get their baby steps. Oh, we are going into year two, though. Hell we yeah. Are. We are. Yeah. Our, uh, our sophomore year. I'm just looking really quick. I think we have 33 episodes out currently. Pretty just, good. Yeah, right? Like That's pretty good. I'm real proud of us in like a we get to it when we get to it sort of way. Yeah, I like that that has... Um, it's, it's how we do the podcast. We never had a... We never tried to be like tune in next tuesday for the next episode it's always just been check your feed and (laughs) it'll pop up okay it'll pop up we're busy so i had a ceramic sale at my studio a couple weeks ago yeah and it was excellent it was like a wonderful you came yeah you came to it oh yeah remember i did yeah i did go it was a blast i had a blast a lot of people came all things considered you know, considering that it's COVID times, it's nice to see everybody. And I got to meet a lot of new people. And I met this woman, we were talking and somebody was like, oh, Cammie has a podcast. And she was like, oh, what's, what's the name of it? And I was like, oh, it's called the Ceramics Podcast. And she's like, oh, I think I listened to that. You guys don't really do it that much. And I was like, you're like, uh, yeah, the one. yeah, I like uh... to be tied down by rules. I don't like to be tied down by schedule. I don't want to be. Who would want to be? So if I you, don't. I reschedule our podcasts all the time. I can't even be held down by the schedule that we make. That you suggest, yeah. yeah that yeah. I suggest. I think all in all, I like that we had one person message us to be like, I hope you keep doing the podcast, which is good. That's really encouraging. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up your your studio sale because I have some questions for you about your studio sale coming from someone who has never had a studio sale. I was going to say I'm not going to tell you how much money I made, but it was it was hundred it was it was, it was the, hundreds of pennies. It was tens of tens. Wow. <laughs> um. No, that's not where I want to start. But okay, we'll get great. there. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, uh, I've participated in holiday sales they seem to be a really big part of ceramics and it makes sense why so now yeah in the modern world yeah the covid world do you think it's still because this is a question that i feel like people often ask when they're trying to figure out why you would move to new york if it sucks to do ceramics there so much like why not do it from anywhere should you just have instagram drop like is is the instagram drop taking over the studio sale you know that's a great question and and what are the what are the benefits of each i didn't i've never done a drop oh yeah that's not true i did an internet sale before and it was fine a couple years ago but i didn't i didn't do one this year or last year 
<laughs> so I don't know why I didn't do it. I mean, yeah. I should have done. So I should like other people in the sale had done them. That was like their sale. So this second sale was like kind of an ancillary. It wasn't a big deal. Like yeah. the in-person sale wasn't a big deal because they had already had their big internet drop sale where they like made the line share of money. But yeah. for me, like this is my, this was my big sale. Like there's not going to be, or there wasn't a holiday drop of stuff. Yeah. And also like, I'm like in this weird netherland of I'm like not really making pottery and I'm not not making pottery. So it's like sort of like this nether region where I don't know what I'm even making to sell. Yeah. Like, but my pieces are like, like really expensive or I, I don't know. So I'm just like trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's, that's like a one thing that's happened in, for me, but I feel like it was really nice to have the sale in person and mm -hmm. it gave people something to do in a COVID landscape. In the future, I could do a internet drop and would probably make just as much money. But yeah. the other thing is, you know, I don't, I get to open my studio once a year and people want to see your studio. Yeah. Or a studio. Yeah. Yeah, especially like when I was there, we had some uh, old students that we had both had at the Y who are great and make really great stuff, but are always excited to see a studio. Yeah, see right? what's in there. That's like the fun part about having it. And then I just invite a bunch of people to have it with like to come over to my studio and sell stuff. Yeah. And it sort of works out. Okay, here's my next question. Okay. Did I even answer your first question? Sure. Okay. Good enough. Good enough. Great. Uh, when you factor in, and we don't have to, I'm not asking how much you made. That's my next question. But um, okay. uh, no, when you factor in how much work it takes to set up, because it always takes longer to set up than you think. Yeah. How much it means, especially for you, like you were just saying, it means like pretty much a month of you stopping kind of like your bigger work to make all this other work for it or a couple of weeks anyway that's true no it was like a month yeah and then I guess those are the biggest things like so it, you think like is it worth it yeah like, I yeah I asked myself that I asked myself year. that and I have to tell you that it is worth it yeah for a number of reasons I got to meet a lot of people um yeah. and I'm not teaching the entire month of December, right? So I'm like losing a lot of money yeah. because classes aren't happening. So the sale really does like lift up my um, my income. It really yeah. does. And so in the end, yeah, it absolutely was worth it. Like 100%. Yeah. And so I'm really happy about that. I don't know, like if you noticed, we didn't do that much setup. It looks good though. Yeah, it looks yeah. fine. Yeah, maybe if I'm going to keep doing it, I'll make it better some way but I mean it's like in the hallway of my studio building which just happens to be big yeah I almost yeah. had it in had it inside my studio and then I was like I changed my mind at the last minute yeah good. like I was like yeah, that would have been a lot of work to clean your studio up. yeah exactly and I because I started doing it for it I cleaned out my studio for four hours and it looked exactly the same and I was like I can't I have to have it in the hallway it's like yeah. this isn't gonna work out I've been yeah. I've been trying to set up my studio for a month, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it, it doesn't look any different. 
<laughs> like I keep I every time I go in there I move a couple things around and then I just start working because I can't focus on it I want to have my studio look a certain kind of way and to have it look like how I want it to look it's going to cost me like at least four grand <laughs> you know who's a really good studio organizer is Amy Santa Ferraro really yeah okay that's good I mean it know. makes sense you know but I don't want all the stuff to be everywhere I want it to be yeah but that's just not the reality I'm yeah. close to I read that um people that are messy are are like more intelligent I'll, I'll take it yeah same okay uh so are you thinking about having a sale yourself no never never right why would yeah. you do that but you sell a lot of work during the year kind of yeah I mean my work wouldn't be like a it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't fit the no no one's walking in and walking out with it, you know? No, you're like, it's you have a, like seven it's, pieces. It's, yeah, it's too big. It's <laughs> Seven pieces uh-huh. and they're all several thousand dollars. Uh, but no, I like the idea of it. I always wanted to just do open studios, like not, a lot of neighborhoods do big open studios. Like I'm in yeah. Crown Heights and they do an open studio and that sucks. Like, I, and I'm never going to do it again because it's just, it's all people that instead of going to the farmer's market that day, decided to like walk through your studio and tell you about your own work. And it, and I did it once and I will never do it again. I've never done one. It was awful. It was like, it was all, it was pretty much all non-art people just like coming in and being like, oh, that's, that one's kind of nice. I don't know about the rest. And then you're like, and they're like, see you later and then they like leave with two of your LaCroix and a beer and you're like what what is this and then they're like can I use your bathroom yeah they're like yeah <laughs> then they come back and they're like the shitter's stuck like, <laughs> oh, God. Son of a... um New but, York you don't know what you're gonna get yeah um no but I do want to do um an open studio and maybe like posting out to Instagram and saying hey I'm gonna do an open studio at this time like message me for details and then you could at least you know kind of pick your crew a little bit and it would be yeah shorter keep it short um I'm, totally I'm just never it. gonna clean my studio so um I'll never do it uh, <laughs> you should do it uh your brother did it and it was uh, like everyone came and it was so wonderful yeah it was a blast he yeah. that's the second time he's done it yeah he like lo- lives for it so yeah you should totally consider it yeah the exact same people would come yeah pretty much yeah you told me the other day you were getting ready for some group shows what's happening do you have to make pieces for them or do they already do they already pick what they wanted they uh one of them i'm making the piece right now it's bone dry i need to fire it like tomorrow okay and then glaze it and frame it and that one was really funny they haven't even seen the piece or any like a sketch or anything they were just like hey we want to put you in the show um sweet yeah which was nice the other one is is with someone that i've like worked with a bunch so i have just been like messaging her and i'm only going to send one piece to that but it's between one that's done and one that i think i can finish by then which i am more excited about Okay. Because it, cause it's new. I didn't include this in my um, New Year's intentions that we did an episode or two episodes back whenever sure. we did it. Yeah. 
but I want to go to California, I think, or I want my work to go to California. So I want, I, I'm, I'm pushing it that way. So both of these shows are going to be in California, which I'm really excited about. Dan McCarthy is, has like become a friend of mine, you know, yeah. in some ways, the artist. And I don't talk to him that often, but he's really nice to talk to. And he does a lot of things well, but one thing that he does well is make it seem like he lives in California, but he lives in New York. <laughs> um, he is from California, so he's got that going for him. And I'm from North Dakota, so it's a little different, but uh, it's not even the same. I'm trying yeah. to go for that, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Got you. Well, this is exciting. So, California or bust? Yeah. Okay, so you're going to let us know when the, sh- when the shows are going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're both opening in February, I think. In LA. Yeah. All right. So we won't go. We should go. Oh. <laughs> Why not? When's the last time you were in LA? Yeah, I, I don't think I've LA. ever... I think I went there when I was a kid. That was it. Wow, it's so fun. LA is so fun. They have the best sushi. California, yeah. there's nothing better than California sushi. Yeah. It's like crispy rice sushi. Mm, gosh, I promise you it'll change your life. And I don't love sushi, but I love that sushi. I think I would just eat burritos the whole time. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah, probably that. Speaking of California. Yes. Oh my gosh. So today on the podcast, we have Angelique Viscarando Laboy, and she is a curator for the Museum of Art and Design. The wonderful thing about this conversation with her is that I had really no idea what a curator did prior to this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what they do, right? Like yeah. you have an idea, but you don't really know like what happens. And so she really gives us an insight into her life. And whoa, she is amazing and has like a very clear vision. We had like a really fun conversation with Angelique, right? It was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect a talk with a, like, I've, I've met some fun curators, I guess, but I, I wouldn't, when I think of fun conversation, I don't normally think art curator. 100%. I was just going to say, like, I haven't had any conversations with fun curators before. This was the first one. (laughs) We talk a little bit about California. We talk about mad museum we talked about new york one time a curator came to my studio and they'd seen my work on my website and i was like working on some new pieces i was making what primary color wax guitars i'd taken an electric guitar made a rubber mold and i was cat making them into wax candles so you'd light the guitars on fire and they'd like you know you'd light the candle and it would melt into like a teary crying guitar melting away and uh what uh was this early 2000s no it was like 2010 11 okay anyway so the curator said i thought i was actually here because your work is funny and i just don't see that (laughs) but i was like okay yeah so yeah curators hold a lot of power yeah they really do and that was the end of the conversation and i never saw them again well, hopefully that's not the case with Angelique. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, obviously Angelique's such a wonderful person. Uh, Angelique actually champions artists. If you go into her Instagram, you'll see she really heavily like promotes a lot of uh, BIPOC artists and 
sort of gives a lot of people a voice that just won't don't have that sort of network. She has a podcast called Clay and Color. Listen to Clay and Color. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. It's so fun. Here she is, Angelique Viscarondo LeBoy. Okay, so Gus, hey, uh, Angelique. So today we have Angelique on the podcast. She is just was the assistant curator. Just what? Like she's now just was. Right before we would have said is, but now we say was. And so now we're just looking. In the interview, we say is. Exactly. And now it's was. Yes, now we'll see where she ends up because it's going to be somewhere good. We could definitely know that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. We see you, Angelique. Yeah. Can't wait to see uh, where you're headed. Where you land. Perfect. Okay. Hi, Angelique. Oh my God. It's so good to see you. So Hello. good to see you too. It's been a long time. Actually, uh, it's yeah. been since the clay pop opening. Here's what happened. So we, Gus and I were at the clay pop opening together and we had earlier gone to like uh, we actually we try and do everything together when we, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's nice yeah <laughs> we'd gone to the uh armory show and mm-hmm. we were talking to mm-hmm. jolie no and jolie we were telling jolie that we were having you on the podcast she was like oh i was just talking to her also you had posted on instagram that you were curating a show and then you had posted on instagram that you were curating another show and then you had written this thing. And then I saw you at the Clay Pop show. And I was like, how the fuck are you even here? Like, you should be working. Like, you have a lot of work to do. It was so bananas. Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, I have a lot of friends that are at Basel right now. And they're like, oh, are you coming? And I'm like, no, honestly, I needed to stay my ass home and calm down because I am tired. I'm very tired. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to tell us what you're working on sure wait first of all where are you are you in new york i'm in la right now okay do you split your time between new york and la well i mean i used to be full-time in new york well quote unquote full-time in new york that was my home base but my partner lives in la so i would come back and forth uh but then the pandemic hit and you know the moment i i was living in basically a storage closet in new york in the moment the pandemic hit and at work they were like well you work from home now i was like okay deuces like (laughs) i there's no way i was going to survive living in that room for you know this time um, so I came over here to LA to be with my partner and who like actually has a home. Nice. Um, and <laughs> of course, I expected to be here for a month. I packed a duffel bag. And Wasn't then, it sweet at the start when we just kept being like, we'll just write it out just a couple of weeks. Yeah, and, we'll and then yeah. I'm kind of like, oh shit, like I need to buy all new things because everything's in New York. And at some point my lease was over and I just went and got my stuff. Um, yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. You still, you work for the Mad Museum. Yeah, yeah. And that's and your the assistant like, curator there. Okay. It's amazing. Is there like, do they have like a curator of specific things or are you just a curator? Nobody's really like on our titles. We don't have specificity of material, but technically we do all have our specialties. Like, yeah, I'm the go-to ceramics person. 
Um, somebody else is like the go-to glass person. Somebody else is the go-to jewelry person. So we definitely have that, um, but it's more of like a, we know that, but it's not something that's like out there necessarily. Well, I guess it is now for our five Well, listeners. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you follow any of us, you know what our medium is. Can you tell us what exactly does a curator do? <laughs> okay, a lot of things. Um, and, and you know what, and, and after this, I'll go back because I think you wanted me to tell you what I'm working on. So I'll tell you that after yeah. I explain. Cool. Uh, I feel like, oh my God, there's so many explanations for what a curator is and what a curator does. Um, to me, being a curator is about storytelling and it's about being uh, an ally to artists and being like that voice that like makes, makes sure that their needs are being met and their whatever they're trying to get across is the right like it, it gets amplified and it's accurately portrayed uh but honestly being a curator can mean a lot of things depending on where you are and what or what project you are working on um is anything from you have to conceptualize like what is the show about what are what's the point of it uh coming up with a roster of artists, picking the work that's going to be part of the show. Um, there's a lot of writing involved with curating. Um, at least in, in sort of my realm of curating, there's a lot of writing involved. Um, so often I tell people there's more to curating than just picking objects. Like you need to be able to make those objects make sense to an audience. Um, so that's where a lot of the writing comes in. But then there's also planning programs around a show um giving tours uh sometimes you're involved with shipping as well there's like so many aspects that uh, it's, it's a very involved process honestly it's just a lot of moving parts that come together there's a lot of admin work that goes into it um into curating as well like it's not as glamorous as people think it is <laughs> it seems like it's really glamorous actually and also <laughs> also like every kind of tv show and movie has like the curator as this sort of, you know, really thick black glasses, all well, that's black what, clothes. Yeah, I think of like a, when Danny DeVito is in uh, It's Always <laughs> Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, <laughs> he's like the art collector. There was a there was a series, I can't remember if it was like a, I think it was a series of videos where they, it was called like, what do artists do all day? But I feel like there should be a, what do curators do all day? That was just like a, it was like, okay, I'm a painter. Like, this is what it means to be a painter. And it took you through all the steps that you don't think about. And yeah, and I think there there is in the sort of like pop culture, this image of curators as these very like grandiose figures who are like very arrogant <laughs> yeah. and just like really <laughs> bossy. It's like, yes, to an extent, there's this aspect of like, it's, it's a very sort of selfish process in the sense like well I like I'm gonna put the work that I like in the in this show that that's what's gonna happen I'm trying to tell this story and that's the work that I like to tell that story so there's that but there's honestly especially like working in an institution you answer to so many people that it's just like no at the end of the day like that is not who a curator is at all you're working with all these different like departments and people and you like trying to satisfy everybody so there's there's a lot more compromise than than you would think so when you're trying to tell a story i i imagine like curators as just having like a giant file of uh like art in their heads at all time but <laughs> when you're telling a story do you start with one piece and then sort of build off or like do you see a piece of and you're like 
that I want to show that piece in some way. I'm going to build an entire group of pieces around this one thing. Or is it like the zeitgeist where you'll see pieces sort of bounce off of each other? Or you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really know. I think it really depends on what the project is. Um, I think for me, I feel like I'm thematically driven. So I, I usually think of like, a concept, a word, literally it could be just like a word or uh, like how I wrote an article on cuteness. And I was like, okay, I want to do an article. I want to write something about cuteness. And then I start like going through my, yeah, through that file in my brain and being like, what artists fit this? Like who, who is working in, in this theme that I'm thinking about? And then, you know, build an artist list from that. Picking specific objects gets a little more difficult because in that it, when you get to that point, it's all about availability. And sometimes you like really want a work, but it's just not possible for X or Y reason. Either uh, it sells and the lend and whoever owns it doesn't want to lend the piece, or your shipping budget sucks, which is often the case when it has to do with ceramics. Um, <laughs> And you just can't afford to ship that to wherever the show is. So there's things like that that come into play that ultimately uh, will affect the checklist significantly. Uh, But I think it it really depends. Like uh, a lot of the shows that I've been working on have been open call, um, which means that in a sense, like the only choice I have is to pick the artist because they submit the work, a, a specific work, and it's either... I like the work or I don't. And, and that's it. Um, there's no, like, I, I can't like talk to the artist and say, oh, do you have another piece? Like, that's not how it works in, in an open call. This is a very different process. Um, and that I build upon, again, like I usually have like a main idea and I just try to find the things that are gonna be able to explain that idea somehow, tell a story somehow with that. Um, but ideally, yeah, you build you build from from that story what pieces are gonna get that story across the best. That that's the ideal scenario. You're gonna be able to find pieces that are very specifically going to be able to tell the story. Often it's hard to do that. So you have to kind of find equivalents or try to like find a work around those things. Oh wow, I had no idea. I didn't really realize <laughs> The negotiating was going to be so intense. There's a oh. lot of negotiating. Uh, you, when you were like rolling through, you know, like how you how you decide like what you're going to pick. Uh, one of the things you mentioned was cuteness, and I think you kind of veered like more in that realm of like less what we would think of as serious topics, especially for art. But mm-hmm. has that been like a really conscious decision for you? Or is that in your like about page on your website, you talk about humor and art and things like that? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely a conscious decision. Um, I think pretty much everything that I'm interested in falls under the category of marginalized or has been marginalized at some point. Um, I think generally, like if we think just, just craft generally, you know, when you, when you think about the art world in general, it's only now that the mainstream is like, yeah, clay, that's hot. Um, before that, it was like, ew, clay, why? <laughs> um, so yeah, I've always been interested in, the, in these things that people don't consider to be like good enough or serious enough to be considered art. 
Um, and yeah, I think that's clay is one of those mediums and then subjects like humor, subjects like cuteness, uh, leisure. I'm also interested in things like glitter. Like I would love to do a show on yeah. glitter at some yeah. point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember like the, cause the first funny ceramics that I remember seeing ever was, was like, uh, you know, like the California funk guys. Yeah. like Robert Arneson and that's totally. what I, yeah. I remember someone talking to me about it and I was like yeah it it just kind of seems dumb and they were like yeah it is dumb and <laughs> but they were like so excited and I was like oh yeah it is huh that's cool <laughs> yeah so I mean I've been working on a on a research project that hopefully will culminate in a show at some point um that has to do with funk ceramics uh precisely for that reason I'm actually what I just started I noticed like I don't know, it's been years now, uh, maybe like three, four years that there was a lot of contemporary artists who were uh, using a lot of the same sort of themes and aesthetics in their work. Um, and so I sort of became obsessed with this idea of like, okay, we have to put them together so that we, we could really see sort of this legacy carry through. And yeah, that is part of the point. It's that, you know, before fun California Funk Ceramics, ceramics were abstract or they were very perfect a lot of you know pottery and things like that um or and then Volpus came along and was like no we're not doing that anymore but then then came this whole other path of these like representational ceramics which eventually turned to more figurative ceramics and things like that they open up a whole different path that I think we don't give enough credit to them for because of the work being not serious because of the work being funny then people don't take their contribution to the field as seriously as they should i think it's they're they're very important because they decided to do that and now artists younger artists especially get to do the work they do which actually to me has a lot more like they're using humor a lot more effectively than the funk artists did yeah um, but <laughs> But I, I feel like well, <laughs> the funk artists, yeah, they that's, had the, they had that's the walk, so, so generous. Could, yeah, <laughs> like that's so generous because the pieces like are not funny. Uh, <laughs> like it doesn't like it, it's just there. Like I even I Arneson like, well, snuck a couple winners yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the idea of like the funk artists. They're supposed to be funny, and then you're like looking for it. And I'm like, yeah, I still just don't. I don't you see know, it. I also think it's like the funk artists were just so preoccupied with the status of clay, with the status of ceramics, and that's something that artists now don't have. They yeah. just like they're like, I'm an artist, and I just choose to work in clay and you like it or you don't like it, I don't care. Um, I think yeah. there's, there's this like thing that that's been let go of. Um, yeah. And when that original group was just like way concerned, <laughs> way yeah. concerned with the status. When I was an undergrad, that was such a big conversation was like how ceramics fit or didn't fit into the art world. And it was like, I went to a school that was really focused on Nsika and like that mm. kind of being like the, you know, like the emerging artists at Nsika where I was like, our idols when I was in school and wow. and so it was like sort of yeah. a different group but um yeah I feel like that was still pretty big and then kind of slowly I, I like kind of started to like drift out of it or like people would show me they'd be like hey look at this guy Sterling Ruby and I'd be like oh weird and then yeah <laughs> as it slowly. like sort of eked into the fine art 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, someone like a figure like Sterling Ruby or or Ruby Neri, they've yeah. been like very good at just always sort of being in that gallery world, like yeah. very present. And now, you know what? Again, like I said, I'm not going to Basel. I would put money that there's going to be so many ceramics this year as opposed to previous years. Yeah. I know I kept I I kept thinking and I feel like even Cammy and I would talk about this before we had the podcast but of like like when's it gonna burn out and the fever pitch right yeah yeah yeah. I I I also worry about that I think about that all the time like it's just like it's it's like a double-edged sword in the sense that I'm like I'm glad that ceramics is in the mainstream but sometimes it's a little frustrating because I feel like a lot of um people who are now choosing to engage not not the artists but like galleries or curators that are choosing to engage with ceramics don't really know about clay and so like they don't they don't really contextualize things I feel like with the medium sometimes and maybe that's okay maybe that's something that we're moving towards uh but for someone who's really into the history of ceramics it's difficult to let go of yeah I had a conversation similar with James Cohan and I was like, you know, ceramics is really hot right now, but you know, tomorrow it's not going to be. And he, he likes paused for a second and he was like, you know, Akami, the cream always floats to the top. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of see the fashion of art and then always like, but ceramics is always going to be ceramics. There's never not going to be ceramics. Yeah, I, yes, that's absolutely true. And I don't know if you noticed when you went through the armory, there was just so much like clay in there, so many ceramics, like actually like solo booths of ceramics. That I was yeah. just like, what? Like, I was like kind of shocked by it. Um, but it's really awesome. I'm glad that the moment is happening, um, especially it's a lot of young artists that are getting the attention for it. So I'm I'm happy for them. It's like get your get your money, <laughs> get paid. <laughs> that's exactly I like. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh-huh. awesome. When you say I, oh I'm a ceramicist, they're like oh cool. Before you'd be like um, like I, ghost. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's like kind of. Ugh. But you uh-huh. did you did do a funk show like kind of a take off a funk show. I've done two pilot versions for for this bigger project i had a fellowship a curatorial fellowship at the center for craft in Asheville, north carolina and i meant to do a smaller version of this bigger show but again shipping la 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 nightmare um so i ended up just focusing in on a small group of artists of color uh contemporary artists who are working in this like aesthetics and themes just to show how humor and cuteness can sort of be rather political um so that was that was that show and then at mad uh we uh, i think we opened in may we did a show from the permanent collection um and we kind of each took uh, took on like a little space in the gallery and put on a story and i just i just put all our funk work out um, and put it and put it there because I mean Matt has a pretty extensive ceramics collection. It's the biggest holdings of the collection, but it's a very uh, disjointed collection. And so, really, honestly, that's one of the few stories that we can 
kind of quote unquote completely tell. Um, so it just like made sense. So I was like, okay, here you go. Let's let's give you a preview for uh, quirky funk ceramics. They're very weird. Um, since we're talking about humor, like what do you what do you think is funny? That is so funny that you asked <laughs> because so I hard. actually have a really hard time with humor. Um, like my partner loves watching stand up comedy, and I'm just like, eh. I don't know some like some I can watch and I'll laugh but for the most of the time I'm just like I kind of smile instead of laughing at things like, like do you watch okay. like do you watch funny shows um do I or, watch funny shows or is What's your funny or, show <laughs> see um, that's I mean, really hard community hilarious uh, haven't seen it no I haven't <laughs> seen it. well I watch like 30 rock or like the office. hilarious yeah great so, yeah. yeah but okay. you know what uh humor to me i think it's 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 a very hard thing to achieve through clay you know you have yeah. to i think comedy for the most part you you think about it actively um so like something that's like snl you know like something that is very active at the moment people are talking people are doing things um so i think it's a very hard thing to accomplish with a static sculpture but to me it's something it's more about like quirkiness and to me it, like irony things like that that are just more subtle I, I would say it's like a subtle humor for things I think you're absolutely right also I think that's why a lot of people get stuck in sort of one-liners you know to carry the humor in a in a moment of a frozen clay fired piece that's the message of its life so it's really it actually is really hard to get it right anyway well yeah and honestly the point of a joke is the punchline but if you don't if someone doesn't get it then the joke isn't there so like it's like you have to also think in a sculpture there's if if you just don't get it then you don't get the joke you probably don't think it's funny I wonder if that's why the funk ceramicists, they were all friends with each other, like worked next to each other, like made all their work together. So that shit is hilarious to them. Just, they're just like responding yes. to each yeah, other. Exactly. In, in no, actually, culture. yes. Yeah. There's a lot of inside jokes in the work that they make. And yeah, like unless you were part of the group, then you don't really know. And also <laughs> they would kind of they like sent each other messages in the titles of the works. So yeah, there's a lot of that. It's it's a very like niche like insider baseball situation in which they just like were always working together and they in a sense they were like speaking just to each other not necessarily to an audience because I feel like they didn't totally have an audience at the time so yeah so they were just it was like I, I think Arneson actually has a piece uh actually I think the Whitney has it it's like laughing in the dark or something or like whistling in the void I don't know, something like that. <laughs> uh, I feel like like it was something like that. Like it's just like they that's also part of like the self-consciousness they had. That it's just they didn't really know who they were making this for, but they were like, fuck it, we're gonna make it anyway. And which is I feel like that's part of the attitude that I like that it's just like they they didn't back down. They were like, people don't get it, people don't maybe don't like it, but this is what we wanna make, and so we're gonna keep making it. One of the things that I love to see is like ancient ancient sculptures uh, ancient clay sculptures of men with giant penises <laughs> <laughs> i like every time i see one i'm like damn that's so funny i can't even stand it 
but it's gotta be like the person making it in like 5000 bc had to have been like come on that like i like so often i forget that people were funny like hundreds <laughs> and thousands of like of course you know you gotta get yeah. that like I yeah mean, that, I, that joke holds up today too. You know? <laughs> it, it's funny to think about like what what was humor in the past like in ancient times like what what would have made something funny but yeah i like what you're describing the sculptures yeah that should be funny like that's right. ridiculous yes that should be funny <laughs> i mean even as like a token of like virility or a, you know a charm still the person making it had to have been like this is ridiculous i'm gonna make it bigger yeah because that's what you know, you know the guy that was making the one next to him was like I made mine a little bit bigger. <laughs> like, just, like giggling to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so like the, the funk of their time is just like, oh, yeah. sorry, I didn't really mean to take it into dick jokes, but it's just, <laughs> That's good. but I do love them so much. Um, well, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of dicks and funks around too. Yeah. <laughs> and there's pictures of Arnest and Naked. So we know that it's like, okay, that's not, okay <laughs> oh, i bet there are oh geez gus you were talking about Encica. Um, yeah. i actually did, never went to Encica when i was okay, in I, college I, okay i actually I, have never been to Encica. that's what i wanted to get to i wanted i wanted to get to the, this. the only Encica i i sort of went to was last year's but that was digital cool. so that's i feel like it was a count yeah, um, because you know what the biggest the biggest part of Encica is looking at the crazy sandals that people are wearing as normal shoes and that's oh you God. can't get that okay, on video well, i'm looking forward to that because i'm going for the first time next oh, year yeah. because oh I'm, I'm curating the annual show yeah that's yeah. amazing um, but yeah like it's just like it's it was it was like wow okay i've never been like i i i never i could never go because i either couldn't afford it or i had finals i was like i was like a big nerd so there's no way i was gonna like take off just to go to this thing and like not yeah. work on my papers or study or whatever um so yeah I never got to do it and then now I mean I'm excited to go you know I have the main show is the one that I'm working on yeah. um I'm in the process of designing the layout right now it's gonna be the Crocker cool. Museum um yeah. I hope it's gonna look good <laughs> there's a lot of different work a lot of a lot some artists that I'm very familiar with some artists that like I literally had never heard of so I'm excited to work with them and there's gonna be some cool work that's awesome yeah I mean it uh like I make a lot of jokes about Encica, uh but it's mostly like out of love I think like I <laughs> I, I love going I haven't it's like nothing yeah. you can even imagine yeah it's just there's a weird place. there's like facets of ceramics that you're like God, he just crawled out of the woods, man. Like yeah. you, you just forget about it. I don't think about the potters that, you know, don't want to be around people 364 days a year. Yeah. And just come to Encica. And you know, it's, they're in it, they're like shocked. You're gonna overhear someone being like, No, Chad, I don't do mid-fire soda. I do low mid-fire soda and i never go above cone 01 and then oh my gosh yeah. Yeah, it's crazy yeah it's yeah, really charming sure. though it's really really charming yeah it's it's cool Quaint. you'll uh yeah you're gonna <laughs> see some funny stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um that's great i bet the show's gonna be amazing that's so exciting that show has i guess it has humor because some of the invited artists are 
people that like I'm constantly working with and that like I know their work very well. Um, but it's it's a different show in the sense that that is not the focus at all. Um, and that's what that's what I mean with like there's very, very different kinds of works. Like there's there's figurative, there's abstract, there's tiny works, there's huge works, there's a lot of video work. Yeah. Um, because oh, I, cool. I mean, I, which I really enjoyed. I like thinking of the field, like in the expanded field, like I, I'm not necessarily always concerned with just having a thing. I think there's other ways of engaging with the medium. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited about this project uh, and getting to connect with a bunch of people that I still don't know in the ceramics field, but well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. There's, I think all organizations and institutions have their issues and have their things to work out. So yeah. I'm, I'm working through those right now. So when you're curating a show like that, like how does it, are you selecting artists completely from scratch? And then if so, like, are you, how conscious, especially it's funny to do it for like the main show of a conference that you haven't been to, that you've only been to the, the online version of. It's really good because that's that's like what that place needs because it had really become a thing where it was, oh, like they curated the show last year. So like, we'll put them in this year. And that, and it was like, you know, it just was this really incestuous oh, yeah. pool of people. Yeah, yeah where like, you're like seeing the same thing for 10 years and you're like, yeah. I don't know. And you're like, oh, that's because Ted did it the year before. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not, I, I think... I, I ask, I, I like asking, how do you hear about me? Because I'm yeah. just like, I feel like I'm like this little person that like, why would you invite me to do this? They, whoever invited me went to a talk that I moderated and they just like really liked my questions and they invited me. But yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to do this to, I feel like it's might be surprising to people. I mean, I'm fairly young probably for that crowd. Um, so I feel like I love, be I, like, I oh. love this already. I love, <laughs> this is really, I'm really excited about it. They might be like, who? Why? <laughs> but I actually, the format for the show, uh, I got to invite five artists. Um, and then the rest I picked from an open call. Cool. Um, so yeah, but the, I made sure that the five artists that I picked are all artists of color. Um, so that that was the full control I had. And then from that, I picked everybody else from the open call. But it, again, just very like different perspectives. Um, I actually have to think through what labels I'm writing and all that. Because um, it's, again, it's just so diverging the different aspects of everything. The, the show's called Belonging. Um, and I think it's a very, very broad and sort of deep concept that there's just so many ways to approach it um and, the, and that's what if you see the show if you experience the show I feel like that's what you'll understand because there's just so many different ways of like interpreting that word for each of these artists uh so I will see we'll see how it goes hopefully hopefully it's a good show do you feel like I mean I know the answer is going to be yes but I just want to hear you talk about it like okay. how how is Themes of shows pre-COVID and post-COVID changed. I, I've heard a lot of people, critics about musicians or other things, be like, well, they wrote this album during COVID and they don't even mention COVID. So is this like, is this, have you, are you thinking about that in your, in anything you're doing? Honestly, I like to avoid it other than to, other than to like when I'm writing, like if I'm trying to contextualize, like this is a time we're in, like maybe there'll be one sentence that says 
we've been going through a pandemic. But I think unless you're doing a show that's very specifically about like you like the artist's feelings during COVID, I don't really like to dwell on it because I think like right now everybody likes to make everything about COVID. And it's just like, we need, I think we need a little break from that. <laughs> but I do think like, uh, you know, like the show that I was putting called Slight of Hand, uh, Slight of Hand, which I was putting together for that fellowship at, um, at in Asheville, uh, you know, it got delayed, it got postponed at some point. I didn't even know if the show was gonna happen because of COVID. But in a sense, I was really glad that it opened during COVID times because I felt like it was a nice, like sort of, I don't know, fresh breath air to be able to go look at ceramics that were in bleak, you oh, know, yeah. to be able to go see some ceramics that might make you smile. Like I, I, I enjoyed the idea of showing something that could provoke some joy or, or some reflection into the sort of duality of life of balancing the joy and the sadness together. Um, so that kind of became important to me during that process curating that show during the pandemic and how sort of difficult it was to put together because of logistics and you know I you know there was no opening because of course who was gonna go to an opening during COVID uh, during the peak of COVID um, we're still in COVID um, <laughs> but I I think it's I, I like to see it as I the the work that I'm in, particularly interested in can bring some joy into people's lives and and I think that's good. I don't I think yes, there's some very serious art out there, very important serious art. And there's there's a spectrum of emotions that you can experience in art. Um, but yeah, the these shows I focus on, a lot of it have to do with bringing some like spark and joy and happiness to your life. You talk about that a little bit on your podcast too. Like in the yeah. in the intro, you're you talk about the aesthetics of optimism right that seems like it goes sort of what you're talking about yeah so that's that's like a term I sort of coined I guess I love it uh, so much. it's like it's like the umbrella for everything that I'm interested in I think there's there's some very serious topics that you, you can address but with this sort of more joyful facade or you know humorous facade or cute facade um, and I think, yes, uh, like, for example, things like cuteness, things that are cute, people tend to be not, like not trust them for many reasons. There's a lot of like psychological studies on it. Uh, but I think, yes, it's because you are able to use these things that make people comfortable to be able to address other things, other like political situations, immigration, race, gender, sexual, sexuality, all these things. Um, I think there's there's these tools available to use. Like you don't always have to be like, I'm just gonna put it boldly in your face. There can be nuance, there can be subversion to things. And I, and I think that's what I'm interested in. It's just, maybe it's the sneaky ways of getting that information out there. Um, creating, I feel like they're like a little bit like Trojan horses <laughs> of like, let's have these conversations, important conversations, but like, let's do it in a more lighthearted manner or like, let's approach it without putting up those defensive walls immediately. That can that can happen when you're talking, I mean, politics, come on. The moment you mention something, somebody's wall goes up. Um, so I think a lot of artists are finding ways to kind of work around those walls. Can I ask you a question? 
Do you yeah. think? No, no, can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Because She's I was thinking about here. it. I was thinking about the um, aesthetics of optimism, and I'm wondering. I was like, oh, Which, New yeah, York. it's a really good term. It it's is a really, really good term. Yeah. I was like, oh, Thanks. New Yorkers. I'm wondering if um, <laughs> the aesthetics of optimism are different in New York as opposed to LA. Yeah, honestly, uh, a lot of the artists that like. I always like sort of keep my eye on they're in the West Coast, like for sure. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I get it. I, that's another thing about like been like to have been living here in LA. I mean, it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm going to go gallery hopping and you're going to be able to see so many ceramic shows, like no problem. Like you can right now you can go and see at least 10 right now. In New York, it's much harder to do that, to say like, oh, I want to go see some ceramics. A little harder. And it's going to be like, well, I mean, I guess you can go see stuff at the Met. But it's like very different. Like it's, it's harder to see contemporary work. But yeah, I do think there's a certain sort of lifestyle and vibe to the West Coast that like comes across, I feel like easier or gets translated easier into artwork than it does in New York. I think New York still has a lot of like pretension that makes it harder to make work like that. It, not to say that there aren't artists, because there are. I, I do work with some <laughs> artists that are in New York, uh, but it, I do think there is a certain level of pretension that like makes it a little like harder. Okay, well, I gotta go pack up all my stuff. You're moving to LA? <laughs> I gotta get the fuck out of here. Well, do it. <laughs> I'm sure that, LA would welcome you with open arms. <laughs> the sunshine definitely will. Yeah. Where are you from originally and where did you go to college? Well, I'm from Puerto Rico. I was born and raised there. I was there till I was 14 until my parents decided that we should move to Orlando, Florida. Um, and I, I hate Orlando. Uh, I mean, I go every year for Christmas and stuff, but uh, it was just such a fake town. Like it was just so like, everything's a franchise and I had a hard time with it I had a hard Wait. time <laughs> sorry go was, ahead keep going yeah it was also it was high school everybody had their friends and it's just like they were like who is this girl <laughs> it was it was a hard time oh um, okay yeah to move when at 14 has well, to be yeah. terrible, the terrible yeah terrible. wait is Orlando like in the center of the state too like it's not pretty much close, right yeah that like yeah. when I realized that Orlando was not on a coast it like blew my mind that anybody well i mean you can go to the beach but like okay. i don't think that's a beach at all like that that was also a hard part everyone's like oh let's go to the beach and it's just like this isn't a beach wait what is I'm, it well i'm i'm coming from puerto rico where okay. The okay. Are, like, okay okay amazing right. yeah. and i grew, so, up, like, I, I grew yeah. up in minnesota where the the beach is like some spot where somebody backed up their truck and just like pushed sand <laughs> next to a river <laughs> yeah. or a lake or a lake. Yeah. 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 Well, like don't no, trip on the tree trunks. <laughs> there's definitely beaches in yeah. Florida all around. It depends yeah. on which one you go, but like the ones that are closest to Orlando are like so dingy looking. <laughs> okay. And I'm okay. just like, no, no. I'm, I'm also like very like scared of water so like I like seeing the like I I want to see what's underneath me and so yeah that's why I'm very spoiled and it's just like yeah I'm, I'm only gonna go to the beach in Puerto Rico where I can see my feet um, I was in Puerto Rico last week and you're ooh. like yeah uh oh, yeah, yeah the, that's why I haven't seen you in yeah so the water is 
stupid clear. Yeah. The beaches are beautiful. The jungle is beautiful. The mountains. I mean, it's it's yeah, amazing. it's it's, amazing. it's it's a pretty awesome it's place on Florida. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my yeah my my stepdad retired, and we used to come for vacations, and eventually that's where they settled. Um, so you know, I finished high school. I I went to the University of Florida initially with the intention of becoming a biomedical engineer. Okay, cool. I would have um, I was gonna guess that. What? That's a yep. And yeah, uh, I I tried. <laughs> I I I was there for almost like almost till my junior year. I still had that awesome major, and I was really trying. And I, it's funny. I really loved biology when I was in school, high school, and I was I was great in school. But when it, when I wasn't called, I think it was also like sort of the change living in a horrible dorm and things like it. It didn't really do well for me, but randomly I signed up for an art history class as an elective and ended up loving that so that became my minor and then when I was like yeah fuck this shit I'm not (laughs) doing science anymore I I switched to art history and that's where ceramics came in too because they required me to take a an art class like an actual studio class and I it was between sculpture and ceramics and you know sculpture meant power tools not into those and so it was ceramics and at the same time I was taking a survey of decorative arts um in, in the art history program and so there was like uh Isabella Deste's plates Myolica plates for example were were part of that survey so like that connection of like actually working with the medium and getting to like know this history that could be like kind of held in one of these objects I was like mind blown mm. love this thing ceramics forever <laughs> um and yeah and then when I decided to go to grad school which I I did you know I did everything back to back um I decided to focus on a program that was on decorative arts uh but while I was there at first I was focusing on just like European stuff uh because hey that's what they show you in our history class yeah. it's all basically you know um but I guess in a Lucky for me, felt not lucky at the moment, but lucky for me, the professor that was like in charge of those classes left. And so like I'm one year into this grad program and then I'm like, uh, so what do I do now? And I went to see that show that Sequoia Miller did at the Yale Art Gallery um, called mm-hmm. the New Ceramic Presence in Modern Art. So he basically combined like all like the people, the, the main, the names that come up First, when you think about ceramics, uh, like studio ceramics, Volkes, Arneson, Mason, Price, all these people, uh, Fry, um, and he combined them with like painting, like Pollock and oh, well, um, yeah. Klein, you know, these people that like you think of like in the canon of modern art, but he put ceramics in it. He said, this is also part of this canon. Um, and that was like, whoa, okay, that's cool. I like that. Um, and then from there on, I was just like, okay, I'm going to focus on American modern and contemporary ceramics. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah, it is so weird. Like still, when I think about uh, like ceramics after World War II in the United States, like it's com- like, I think of it as a completely separate timeline from painting and, and like sculpture. Um, which is yeah and it yeah. and it isn't it isn't and, th- and that's the thing it's yeah. just like yes it, it 
they, it's a separate timeline because they were forced to have a separate timeline, but yeah. they were like going for the same concept, especially somebody like Peter Volkos, who was like totally looking towards these like folks or even Arneson. Arneson was like obsessed with Pollock. At some point, you know, he like closer to his death, he did like a whole series on Pollock. So uh -huh. it's like they, they were looking to these people. They were trying to have these conversations with them. They were just not really having them. It was more like, again, talking to the void. That's so funny. <laughs> I know because the way we met is because you were in my figure sculpting class at the 92Y. Wait, what? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So... You are like a super. Wait. Like, okay, wait. For starters, Kimmy, can you even sculpt a figure? You know, funny you should ask. <laughs> I was going to say like, um, Angelique should have been teaching that class. Right. I was like, oh shit. Wait, you took? I had no idea. First That's of all, awesome. I was. So they, you guys actually know each other. They asked me to. Well, yeah. That's so cool. they asked me to teach that class because. Uh, they really needed what happened? Yeah. They really, they were really desperate. And I was like, look, I'm that's not my specialty. And they were like, yeah, but you, we saw your work and there are figures. So it doesn't really matter how I got there. Back to what I was trying to say, Gus. Actually, <laughs> it's actually, you're like an actually super talented sculptor. So what's happening? Like I noticed in the last couple of weeks, you're, you were like, um, you just like put up a little post, like what's, what kind of kiln should I get? And then like a week later, you're like, what kind of wheel is the best? So what's yeah. happening? Tell us. Like this so is, I'll we don't even care about curating anymore. <laughs> well, I'll say I've never considered myself an artist. I've always been artistically inclined since I was a child. Like I always loved making anything with anything I could get my hands on. Um, I think my mom actually still has like a tiny like clay like clay little doll I made her when I was when I was a little girl um, but when I was in college you know I took the one class like the 101 class um, and I loved it so I kept taking classes I was like one short one class short of a minor so I got a certificate uh. um, in ceramics but yeah I especially enjoyed figure sculpting um I just I'll say like to me I just don't have stories to tell through art like through my own art I I use other people's arts to tell a story um so I but I I like the process of making it's just I I just love working with the material and I'll say you know when eventually I could sort of afford to take a class that's why I was at the Y and I took I took one of the wheel throwing which i'm really bad at i'm really bad at throwing yeah i wanted to know if you can can you center can you like throw a pot i can probably center it okay, okay. throwing no yeah. i i mean once i get like if i'm taking a class eventually yes i can do it but like if i were to sit right now oh no it'd be tragic <laughs> tragic um but then you know i i saw the figure sculpting and so then i decided to take that and that was a lot of fun uh she my my woman sculpture is in my office in new york cool. I, it is really when people come stuff. in they see like her butt um <laughs> at my desk that's awesome um but then after that honestly it was very expensive um another thing that's not so glamorous about being a curator 
we don't really make that much. So when I came here to LA, eventually I started finding some time and I started going to a studio and I was just like making planters, like it just for my plants. And um, also a friend would come over and like, I would set up a table and we just like make stuff in my backyard, uh, but just like stuff for the house and for ourselves and gifts and stuff like that. Um, but I think my partner is like very curious and he wants to try to make stuff. Okay. Um, so he, he kind of, he wants to set up a situation cool. a little, you know, and that's why, that's why I've been asking about kilns and wheels. He wants to try the wheel. I was Wait. just like, okay. I was like, I don't need a wheel. I need a kiln, but a wheel. What, what is, I'm what good. does he do? Like, yeah. He's He's an accountant. He's a okay. Cool. Editor. Yeah. See, that's what, okay. I wanted to know, like, when you were taking classes, that must have been like, like you'd be sitting at a table and you're like making stuff, and people are like, "What are you making?" And you're like, oh, "I'm making a planter." And they're like, "I'm making a planter too." And they're like, "Is it for your desk?" And you're like, "Yeah, it's for my desk, in my office." And then they're like, "Oh, I, like I'm an accountant," and you're like, "Oh, I'm a curator at the Mad Museum." Like, it's got to be a funny like mashup. Yeah. It's funny though, because I don't think people were faced. I don't think they cared. Honestly, they're like, "You're a what?" Yeah, actually, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I just like I, I would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm a curator." Like who usually like spe- like focuses on ceramics, and they're like, "Oh, okay, that's that's cool." <laughs> I guess, and I'm like, "Okay." I think like honestly, people who like go to like the kind of studio I was going to here. Yeah. Um, they're in a very different like mindset. They like do a lot of like, I, I feel like a lot of people were doing, cause I would look at like the shelf of things that for people to pick up. There was a lot of, uh, like, uh, production where like they were like for sale things that they yeah. were going to functional wares that they were going to sell. Um, and so I feel like it, it was very different. Like they weren't, their mindset wasn't like, oh, I want to be in a show that it was just like, I, I make stuff and I sell stuff and this is how I bring money in. But I don't think they were necessarily like, oh, I have this grand concept for, for the sculpture that I'm working on. So I, I think it was like a very different like perspective on, on making. That sounds kind of actually relaxing. Yeah. Where you're like, making okay, cool. Sake making <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It, it is so fun to do that. Right. Just yeah, like- if you teach up at the 92nd street, why they let you you're allowed to take a class like every semester that you're teaching. Oh, but fun. I know, but the problem that like you got to, like even when it's free, I just never could squeeze it into my schedule. Like Cammy, you did like one or two of them, right? I did like a year of jewelry, yeah. I did yeah, a lot. Did you, did you actually go for a year actually, or did you go like one re- session? Okay, every- uh, to be truly honest, I went, no, I went for a, a year and I got really, wow. really good at, it was like wax carving. Ooh. but well that makes sense that you would be good at that wait, yeah. but <laughs> no, what I would do is I would go for the class was three hours and then I go every Friday morning I'd like wake up at 7 a.m to get to this class it was ridiculous and then I never finished anything <laughs> like I never had anything cast in like oh the God. whole year and all I did was sit there and just like file wax and you it just was like carbon wax so relaxing maybe you I'm should sure. become a wax yeah carving artist. I mean it was like <laughs> Like my teacher would be like, okay, so you're going to take this to the caster. I'd be like, yeah, but I just feel like it could be a little bit better. And then I'd start over and then I'd start over and I really oh never finished God. anything. 
I think I yeah, need on, one thing. The schedules are hard. I've like I've looked be- between like now and and when I took the class with Cami, I definitely looked at some point into taking another class, but schedules are hard. Like it's like I they're they get kind of competitive. A lot yeah. of people want to go take these classes. Um, yeah. all over, you know, there's so many studios that you can go to in New York. And like, I feel like, you know, the evening classes will sell out immediately. And that's what anybody who has a nine to five needs, you know? So that's, that's when I was like, okay, I can't do it. At some point it was just like, oh, the time doesn't work. The day doesn't work. And I was just like, I gave up. I just, yeah, Yeah, it's hard. New York is not a good place to do ceramics. Like it's not built for this city or the city's not built for ceramics. Long Island, that's built for ceramics. You, do you mean because of space? Yeah, I just mean because of space. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Cammy and I have talked because Cammy and I both grew up in the Midwest where like it was just like you could always find someone that for whatever reason had a 220 outlet in their garage and like would let you just put a kiln there. Yeah, we have to figure out the whole like wiring yeah. system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I know. Well, that was like yeah. It's so much easier at a yeah, house than like in New York. Yeah. It's like a thousand dollars. But everything's hard in New York, no? I know. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not just certain things. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like humans don't fit in New York. Yeah. yeah. We don't really have room to have studios. <laughs> and yeah, I mean it I think that's why a lot of there I think in New York there are artists that end up going to these like sort of communal studios because it is so hard to find a kiln I I, actually I think generally ceramic artists have such like a hard time because they're so dependent on kilns and kilns can be such like a pain to to find to have to be able to maintain um, it's just like ugh, such a yeah. burden. Don't get scared though. Don't get scared. You should get a kiln. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great. I literally, I mean, I have those pieces that I made with my friend. I got, uh, I got my other friend who's a ceramics teacher to fire them in nice. in the school. But then now I have to buy some glazes and then refire. So oh, it'd be yeah. great to be able to just like do it myself instead. Even though I haven't ran a kiln since college, so. I have to retrain myself entirely. Like, it's like it's like a microwave, yeah, you know. It's, it's basically <laughs> it's like a heavy-duty microwave. No, he's right. He's right. Um, I've been trying to figure out how to like weasel this into a question this whole time, okay. but I, but I can't do it. But it's just uh, I'm scared. No, it's not. It's a good one. Uh, <laughs> we'll be I, the judge of that. It's not actually. It's actually a terrible question. But uh, do you know Beth Lowe's work? She's like one yeah. of my, yeah, okay. I just had to make sure. I just had to. Yeah, find so, um, she seems like so up your alley. Um, I just wrote a little bit about Beth. Um, cool. On, I was invited to write the catalog essay for the show in uh, Western North Carolina University called Contemporary Clay uh, cool. 2021. Um, and like, as soon as you walk in, it's a piece by Beth. Um, cool. And it, yeah, yeah. She's, she's like, I I, like my favorite and was also she was my professor when I was an undergrad oh lucky Um, yeah I I love working with her but she's got such like a she just had some stuff uh go up in a sale today and I was and I'm eyeing it but I somehow (laughs) need to get like a giant base of hers I don't know how I'm gonna do it but 
Ooh, uh, I don't know. The, yeah. the pieces that were in the show actually fall under that category of like something very serious, but like put into like a very like cute packaging. Yeah. Um, it's this like series of buckets with little babies inside. Yeah. And they're so cute. And you like just want to go and like look at them. They're kind of like peekabooing. But like the piece is called Flood. And it's about like like the hard time that like women can have after birth. And it's just like it, it's actually a very serious topic. So, yeah. but it's one of those pieces that it's just like when you see it, you're like, oh my God, so cute. Um, but then you read the 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 text and you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, I feel like she does that quite a bit with her work. And also she is like uh she kind of is that way when you talk to her too, which is really nice. Like well, she's I like hope really to meet her at some point. Yeah. I bet you'll I bet you'll get a chance to meet her at Ansika. She's yeah, usually yes. there. World she, tour. She plays in, in a Sacramento. Um, <laughs> she plays in a in a um folk band she plays stand-up bass in a folk band with her husband called the big sky mud flaps that played at the potter's ball one in sika <laughs> so potter's ball oh yeah there's, yeah, a, there's dance. a thing called the potter's yeah, ball yeah there's a big dance <laughs> oh my god i'm excited yeah yeah oh man i'm sure we the made... music that that will be played is not some anything i'd want to dance to but yeah. i'm excited Okay, so do you want to greatest hits us like some of the things you're working on? I think at this point I'm not working on that many things. Okay, cool. But um, I was concerned. So, <laughs> no, no, I think I have. I'm thinking I have three shows independently. So that's the Antica show, Belonging, which opens February 20th at the Crocker Museum, um, and then just just on the other side of the country. Um, will be a show called The Universe Within at Mindy Solomon Gallery. Oh, cool. um, and that will open also February 20th. Um, and that one uh, is a show that I was invited to curate by two of the artists in the show. And it focuses on, on ceramic work by women identifying or non-binary Black artists. Um, so they, we just wanted to give room for them uh and it's gonna be really cool work it's actually gonna be very expanded in the sense there's gonna be sculptures it's gonna be wall work uh there's gonna be some drawings there's gonna be some other like mixed media work so i i i'm excited to see that come together uh and it's my first like show at like a commercial gallery if that have i done that before no i have not so yeah that'll, that'll be that that's a first and then in May, I think it's May 27th uh, uh, in New Jersey at the Grounds for Sculpture. I'm, I'm doing a show there called uh, Fragile Earth. Um, and that one focuses only on artists of color. It was, it was like a complicated process in the sense that uh, this group called the Color Network, um, yeah, yeah. They, they brought the, sh the show to the Grand Source Sculpture, and then they decided they wanted a guest curator, and then I got asked to be on the project. Um, but they invited some artists, I invited some artists, and some artists were I picked from an open call. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag there. And again, very different projects. There's there's giant sculptures, there's little sculptures, there's video work, there's all kinds of things um, in that show. And that's just gonna run for a whole year. So it, it's a really cool place, like 42 acres. 
um Whoa. of land with like I'm gonna go there. yeah it's it's really like cool i mean i honestly i think they need to edit the amount of sculptures they have out there but they have like 300 sculptures in their permanent collect collection and so you like walk around the grounds and there's like sculptures. you just like trip over them the whole time sculptures all over yeah, the place yeah i can't um, see this goddamn sculpture with that other sculpture in the way yeah. there's some they have um i was excited to last time that i went they i bumped into their toshiku takayazu um sculptures cool. outside so that was cool. Oh, cool um and that's gonna run at the same time as a solo show by roberto lugo Cool. Um, like that's like across the building so it's a good day trip i think um yeah. hopefully we'll go visit and then at mad uh there's two shows um i'm working actually on a show about flowers um but i'm doing the part i'm doing like a little section that's going to be on vessels so that's focusing on ceramic vessels um for for flowers uh some of the work will be from our permanent collection and some will be uh artist loans and there's also a video there that I'm very excited about um but the the rest of the show is going to be like actual like artists that work with flowers making flower installations and arrangements and things like that um and then like I said working on on this big project with that has to do with funk ceramics and contemporary ceramics and bringing that together and yeah maybe, just a few things yeah, and the podcast cool. yeah maybe season two <laughs> okay. of, of the podcast so yeah the, just a few things that's, that's why my head is spinning yeah. Ooh, that's good that's awesome actually yeah thank you you know there's a there's a in a in an old Grayson Perry lecture uh he says that the most powerful people in the arts are curators do you feel like the most powerful person uh, I mean, no, but <laughs> I think there is a lot of power to yeah. being a curator. I think something that people need to understand is that curating is very subjective. And like, even like, even when you try to tell a story objectively, it's like, no, ultimately your own like interest will come into play. And I think uh, something that an, an example that that makes me like really hone in on that subjectivity is that when when we put together this show uh craft front and center at, at mad that each of us was working on a story and i was working on funk ceramics my colleague samantha detilio was working on a section that was just a marvin lipovsky um she she's a glass person um so <laughs> she's a glass person um she she let me know hey by the way Marvin Lipowski got rejected from that original funk show. And to me, that was so funny because when I look at his work, it makes total sense to me that that work would fit with what the original 1967 funk show curated by Peter Sells was. But that's where subjectivity comes in. He didn't like it for X or Y reason. I mean, glass as a field was like a studio field was new. So he wasn't super familiar with it, but he made the choice. He made the conscious choice to say, no, this work is not it. Uh, but it, you know, that's where subjectivity comes into play in that that moment in which he decided this person is not, does not fall into funk. That means Marvin Lepowski is not considered a funk artist, even though his work is pretty funky. <laughs> So that's that's where the power comes. <laughs> like those decisions that you yeah. that you make as a curator can really sort of dictate how uh, an, 
career goes, like an artist career goes, how the history of the field goes. Yeah. It's just like what's out there is what gets visibility is really what's going to make some type of impact. So yeah, so you do have to make decisions very considerately because of those things. But in other ways, we're completely powerless. So <laughs> I just, I, our, our, our opinions can, can have a big effect. Can. They, yeah. they won't always, but they can. Even in the writing specifically, you kind of take a position, if even in an open call, like you, yeah. as a curator, you are saying like, here's my position. This is what you're coming yeah. to see. Like, this is what I want from you and this is what your expectations should be. So there is a little bit of. Yeah, open calls are a little bit more difficult because you kind of just have to pick from what's available. And like, it's like, it's not maybe, I think sometimes in other, like if you were starting from scratch, you maybe wouldn't pick some works that you end up picking an open call because they tell you you have to pick 25 artists, 35 artists, 40 artists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I do think that even when you make those those choices in which you have like parameters set, yeah, you're still trying to say this this very particular group, this is what gets this point across. But I, I also think no story is ever complete. Like I don't think there's a single exhibition that is just like this is the end of the story. I think it's always like this is one aspect of the story. And there's always more that you can dig into, um, whether it's different artwork, there's more to the story that you can um, think about. And I, I think that's also the what you hope for in an exhibition when somebody comes and engages with an exhibition, you hope their like brain is like going and thinking and maybe somebody has a rebuttal, like somebody's like, I don't agree with that. And so this is what it, my review is, or I'm going to do a show that proves this wrong. So I think it's all a conversation. It's a dialogue at the end of the day, these stories, like we're telling stories to each other. And then we like kind of keep building on that and like building like an ontology of the history of art. Man, I'm so <laughs> happy to talk to you. I was like, I, I was always like, I always wonder like what actually the curator does do or you know what I mean like what's what's actually happening and it's just so refreshing to actually hear you talk about it it's like actually way more complicated than I thought it's really complicated yeah. I like I, I understand I think people really do think that it is glamorous and there are there are great parts about it I mean I love traveling so getting to travel to do research or to do a studio visit things like that I I love that and that's great um I also I love opening I love any chance to dress up um so you know it's like you don't have to tell me twice I will be there um but but yeah there's it's it's a lot of actually very grueling work to to get to that point in which you get to open a show and say ta-da like there's a, a lot of like tears and like blood that goes into getting to that point um there's a, a lot of honesty a lot of arguments that happened a lot of discussions a lot of like I said before compromise negotiation there's there's a lot that goes into it and it also all varies and depends on who you're working with and like 
what the institution organization might be, um, the staff that's available, whether it's all just like you and one other person, or there's like more people to help out. It like really varies depending on, on what the situation is. What I finally wanted to talk to you about, and I'm so glad you brought up getting dressed up. I know oh. you're okay. So I was listening to um, the Sharif Farag is that a mm-hmm. episode of your podcast and I love his work. Same, right? But he kind of like snuck in there one little thing. He's like, yeah, he was talking about skateboarding and then talking about, well, that's how I got into looking at Supreme and that's how I got into fashion. And then he, and skateboarding. And then he never really brought it up again because nobody really talks about fashion. And I know that you are like, really, like when you dress up, it's like an event in itself. (laughs) Your outfits oh, are thanks. like next level. It sounds like it's part of like your whole, you know, your whole outlook. But do you want to, can you talk about it a little bit? Sure. Um, and I'll say it, it's like, I also love like a, a good theme. And it's so funny that like, if you remember at, at Clay Pop, I had nothing, you know, I had nothing to do with that show. And it's somehow I ended up matching, like going <laughs> yeah. exactly with that, with the set design or with the exhibition design. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to be honest. Um, when I moved uh, to Florida, um, I, when I was in high school, I wore kind of whatever. Like I mostly wear like jeans and a t-shirt because I've never been one to necessarily hide, but like I naturally was drawing so much attention to myself that I was just like, I don't need to draw any more attention. And, and I mean, in a negative attention, because I just like was this person that somehow I was intimidating to my classmates and they found negative ways to like try to bring me down. And so I think, honestly, I spent like almost a decade since I moved trying to find myself again. And while I while in New York, you know, finally, like, I think kind of doing grad school is when I was like, I'm safe now, I can be myself. Um, and that's when I like started really like getting into fashion again, because I was definitely into fashion when I was little. But it was that transition. It was like so much that like, I just kind of like, like retreated like a little bit. And it was just like, oh, whatever, like, who cares? I'm just gonna wear jeans and a t shirt. And whatever it was also the easiest thing to do when you when I had to wake up at like five in the morning to go to school I was just like oh my god who has time to like get dressed yeah um but yeah I just like kind of became like as an adult I feel like as I came into myself and who I am fashion became like just like a way of expressing myself and just like being myself um it's like I feel like that's one of my art practices I was gonna it's just, that's kind of where I was heading yeah yeah yeah. makeup especially like uh, that's a lot of fun to me I go through periods of like oh well we're gonna do graphic eyeliner or we're just gonna do some crazy blend with the eyeshadows so yeah like it 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 became part of it like part, part of like my practice as like just like my art practice is just to um, I mean, I don't look it now because I'm just bumming around the house. But yeah, we're when, really like, disappointed you, know, you didn't get to put a I'm stutter, sorry. put a stutter together for the podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe it would have been earlier. I would have done something, but uh. I can't believe we really, really did it. This has been the best hour and a half. I'm so happy. 
Gus, do you have do you have any any final questions? Anything? No, I think I got my. I really I tried to really sneak my two in there that I've been <laughs> trying to work in for a while. Um, um, I didn't know that you guys actually knew each other though. The next time you're in New York, we should go get pizza or something. Sure. Totally. Yeah, that would be so fun. Yes, this was great. This was a blast. Um, Gus, you could probably take a couple fashion inspos from Angelique. <laughs> you know, just for like. I'm gonna start watching. Cammy's my like my my fashion icon. Yeah. Yeah, Cammy's pretty cool. <laughs> he dresses like a kind of like a like an old man fly fisherman trying to be hip, and he gets it from me. Okay. So. Yeah, exactly. That's what it I was going to say. Really it's, rough. That's that's what I look like, but I copy your outfits. I know exactly. that's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. It's the I mean, worst you know what? Year. I, I've gotten some interesting cardigans lately. Cool. Um, cool. So, okay. Okay. I think right. that does. I just, you know, follow you on Instagram and I, I saw some of the plates that you make and I love the colors that you're using. You have a great color sensibility. You just, I think you need to bring some of that into your wardrobe if you, Thank you. If you haven't already. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm kind of trying to, I'm trying to zhuzh it up a little <laughs> bit more. I kept looking at uh, Peter Shire, like, and, and I was like, I gotta be, I gotta be a little bit bolder, you know, I gotta sneak in a little, like his wardrobe, not his, and his work, but. Uh, I'll say though, it's the winter now. It's hard to be cute in the winter, so. Yeah. You have some time. Yeah, okay, cool, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can like gear up, test some winter. stuff out in my apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Thanks for being Thanks on the so podcast. This was so Thanks fun. for having me. Bye. Good luck. Bye. Bye. Hey. We're back. We're back. That was so fun. That was super fun. Angelique is actually really, really talented. I hope she like really gets into making art. Yeah. That's that's what you're pushing for. I really I would love to see that happen. Yeah. She's a really amazing sculptor. Figure sculptor at least. Thanks, Angelique, for being on the podcast. You can follow her on Instagram and I think that's the most important thing you should know. Yeah. And uh listen listen to the the clay and color. Gus, this was a blast. As Always. usual, we we're like as usual. Hey, hey, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. No, let's see each other tomorrow. Okay. okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Okay. Are you actually coming to the studio tomorrow? Yeah, I have a. Hold on, let me take stuff.